Welcome to the Vox Community Podcast. Learn more about Vox Community at voxoc.com. Join us at 10 a.m. on Sundays at voxoc.com slash live and at the Eldorado Performing Arts Center. Good morning. All right. Everybody, good morning. Welcome to Vox Community. My name is Andy. I am uh, the creative director here at our little gathering that is uh, formed out of a podcast. Um, Got lots of fun stuff going on today. We actually, on the heels of our year-end conversation last week, um, we are actually going to make a big announcement um, today as well. Uh, But we're actually going to have Izzy go ahead and come out and do that so she can come out here. Yeah, let's give Izzy a warm welcome. Yep. Yep. Um, So... Uh, this past year, we've really enjoyed having Izzy as our worship leader, and she's really, um, you know, there's so much going on for her future in particular, so uh, why don't you tell us a little bit about uh, where you're headed as of this past weekend? Well, you guys. <laughs> I'm not going anywhere, don't worry. <laughs> I'm just getting married, so yay! <laughs> Oh, zing. <laughs> oh, so we're, uh, we're so happy for Izzy. Um, it's been so much fun um, having her with us and becoming friends. So we, we couldn't be more excited for her engagement. So when you guys see her, make sure to say congratulations and, and give her a big smile. So, yeah, good stuff. Great stuff. Uh, so, yeah, so... This is Vox Community, my friends. Uh, you can learn everything you need to know about us at our website at voxoc.com. Uh, as I mentioned, uh, we were a church that was birthed out of a podcast. Um, we look at this community as a liturgical expression of the podcast and the types of conversations we're having there and the type of people um, that we are hoping to become. Uh, if you haven't checked that out, uh, make sure to do that. It's voxpodcast.com. And uh, so that's a show with Mike and I, and we get into all the, the nitty and gritty and nutty about our, our culture and faith. Uh, and in addition, of course, we uh, put all of our, our sermons and teachings and um, our services online. You can stream them live on Facebook, and also um, you can download the podcast from our website at voxoc.com. Uh, so a few things. We have our holiday parties that kick off uh, this week for a one-night occasion. Uh, though you can still sign up for those uh, on our website. They're just going to be um, dinner and homes around Orange County. We're, we're just going to have a little bit of fun. I know last year some of them were Eggler sweater parties, and each little host is going to do something a little different just to kind of bring in the holiday season. So uh, we're excited about those. Make sure to check those out. Uh, I got my notes. Um, ah, yes, absolutely. So when you came in, uh, you may have got a little business card here that says Vox Merry Christmas. Of course, we will have Christmas Eve services at 10 a.m. on Christmas Eve. Um, so that way you can go to a, a different extravaganza if you like um, during the evening. We will not be doing uh, that. We'll be doing our, our good old uh, tried and true uh, morning service. Uh, if you can, uh, take a few of these. We left them out on the table. If you've got friends and family that you want to invite and you need to give them something to give them information, uh, we have prepared uh, these for you. So please grab those if you can. Um, In addition, so 
Uh, December is actually a big business month uh, for pretty much all churches uh, nationwide in that uh, for business year end. If your business is looking to donate to someone, if you're looking to donate to someone for tax write-offs, most churches actually do about twice as much giving as they do in December than they do the rest of the month the entire the year. So if this is the kind of place that you're excited to keep seeing go forward and you see an opportunity to participate and give in that way, we just ask that you consider us this year. We don't ever really mention money. Uh, it's just a reminder that it's end of year and Lots of folks like to donate at the end of the year for your tax purposes. So we would greatly appreciate that. Uh, so in a minute, uh, Mike is going to come out and do Q&A with some great questions we have. Uh, after that, Tim Milhoff is here with us this morning uh, to be teaching on the problem of evil. Ooh, that's going to be good. Uh, and then we're going to go ahead and do a communion and worship after that. Um, so just to kind of explain... Um, with us, we look at the Eucharist and communion as the actual centerpiece for the entire service and to why we are gathered here. Uh, we are a church that actually has four different teaching voices, meaning that we heavily appreciate a broader spectrum of um, how people teach. And we believe that it's more than one voice, one person that should be leading a church, but rather um, it's you that help lead the church here. Um, we believe that uh, the church should be the safest place to talk about anything, hence why we do Q&A um, every single Sunday. And that said, too, with the communion... Um elements. We also have prayer boards up here where if you need prayer this morning or you need to leave a place for prayer, um, our prayer team gathers those through the week and they're praying for you as well. Uh, with communion, um, as you'll come up for communion after teaching this morning, uh, you'll actually take some of the bread and dip it in the cup. Please do not take the cup and chug it as some of you guys have. Um, you'll quickly find you will not get a buzz. Uh, <laughs> and then over here we have gluten-free uh, communion uh, for all of those folks that are trying to pursue a vegan type life, which is completely unassimilated with gluten-free. Um, also, uh, we have our prayer shawls here uh, with our communion boards and our prayer boards. Uh, that's actually a symbol of the story where um, a broken woman actually reached out to grab the hem of Jesus's um, robe in which um, there's a beautiful story about how there was found healing in the wings of those robes. Um, and in that moment in the story, uh, that woman was healed. So if this morning you need a place to go and to grab on something to, to pray for healing, um, we have that for you as well, too. Um, and lastly, before I bring Mike out here, uh, if you do need to talk with someone today or pray with someone, uh, we are a church that's made up of a large team of community pastors. So these are the folks that meet with you during the week, that will meet by your hospital bed, that will marry you, that will bury you, um, that are involved into... Um, the, the deep relational conversations that that we have, yeah. So if you're you're trying to figure out who's going to bury you, well, they're you know they, they're the ones who are going to help you out with that. Nice, thanks, Daniel. Appreciate that chuckle out there. So um, you can find them. They're wearing an orange uh, orange lanyard on their neck, um, and uh, they're wonderful, beautiful people. So I hope you get a chance to meet some of them and talk with them. Um, that's it for me. I'm going to go ahead and uh, bring Mr. Midwest out. Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, sorry. <laughs> sorry about that. Welcome. Hi, everybody. Oh, I heard that. <laughs> Let me tell you, I'd rather be with you today. No question. <laughs> Snowed out. It's uh, 28 degrees. Max couldn't be wearing a tank top. So no way that's going to work. Um, anyway, good morning, Vox. Great to see you. My name is Mike. And um, if I've never met you and you're wondering why, why do we Skype a big white orb, 
in as part of our service. I uh, was part of the original team that planted the church and um, still love being involved, was there last week. And um, so grateful to see so many of you and, and excited to be there. Um, it was just great to connect, even though it was really quick. We've got some great questions this morning before Tim comes up, thought we'd give a crack at. So uh, if you want to fire those up, Gary, question number one. Question number one. There we go. With the message today, so this was last week, with the message today, does that mean the Lord is already amongst us and not coming again, or is there still a second coming of Jesus? Sorry, I'm a bit confused as I was trying to follow the progression of the Lord coming, then he came, then he spread the Holy Spirit, trying to figure out what next. Fantastic question. Sorry I didn't make that more clear last week. Uh, Yes, Jesus has come. Uh, His presence remains on the earth through his spirit, uh, and he is coming again. So both of both of those are true. That Jesus is here through the power of His Spirit, and that the text, uh, the the Bible clearly teaches He's bodily going to return again. So uh, sorry that that was not clear. Yes, if you want to read kind of how it goes, First Corinthians fifteen kind of um, explains a bit of the order of uh, the return uh, of Jesus. If you want to check that a little bit more, great question. Question number two. Is it wrong to use any certain type of birth control? Whoa, great question. Um, A couple of thoughts. Part of the original mandate given to uh, the man and the woman was to fill the earth and to subdue it. And um, so it, it, it seems that God invited us into some sort of partnership where because he created at a massive scale, we create uh, on a very small scale. And uh, because of that, uh, I do think we have some um, ab- ability in partnership with God to uh, number the children that we have, particularly as the earth has become overfull and uh, overpopulation is an issue. Uh, I do think there is a, diff- a moral difference between some types of birth control and others. And uh, if you're interested in reading more about that, uh, a friend of mine named Scott Ray, R-A-E, has written a book called Moral Choices. He's an ethicist at Talbot. Uh, the Graduate School of Biola, and he's got some really interesting stuff on uh, contraception, birth control, uh, and so on that I would encourage you to check out. Again, the the book, the name of the book is Moral Choices. It's like three or four editions old. It's it's uh, it's pretty good. Would have you check that out. So so in theory, I don't have a problem. Um, uh, with birth control. I think there are some kinds of birth control, though, that I would be concerned about. So uh, third question. I hope that was helpful, by the way. (laughs) Third question. I know the Bible says that our hearts are deceitfully wicked and that even our good deeds are like uh, period rags before God. How does that line up with us being created good and in the image of God? Further, I have not witnessed this in human nature. Uh, What I have seen are broken people living in such a way um, as to protect themselves. Next, as dysfunctional and effective as their actions may be, humans are intrinsically wired to protect themselves. I would argue that the actions people do that are labeled sin are misguided because there are deeper issues to be healed. Can we get rid of the shaming of the human race and focus on loving each other into healthy and whole people? Man, great question. So much stuff in this. Uh, Flip back to the previous slide, if you would. Let's kind of march through it. 
Um, yes, hearts wicked, no question about it. The, the scriptures teach that there is something fallen in us, and it doesn't mean that we're as bad as we could be, but it does, it, it, it does mean that we're not as good as we should be. All right. So that's very, very important to understand. The uh, teaching that that we are fallen doesn't mean uh, that we are as bad as we could be. Right. We we see that there there are all kinds of kind, loving, awesome, gracious people who know nothing of Jesus or choose not to follow him. Uh, But it does mean the, the fallenness in us does mean that we're not as good as we should be. But see, the primary metaphor uh, or picture that we're given about God isn't in terms of courtroom, right and wrong, guilt or innocence. The primary picture we're given is relational. So the idea is we were created for intimate relationship with God, that that relationship has been broken because of sin and rebellion. And sin just means to miss the mark. It means that um, uh, whether it's something we didn't do but should have, something we did but shouldn't have, however that goes, we are missing the mark of God's holy and righteous character, what it means to love God and love neighbors. So I don't think sin has to automatically equal shame. Um, uh, I don't think sin has to automatically do that in our culture. I understand and I and totally agree that human nature uh, is such that we are broken, that uh, we try to protect ourselves, no question about it. But we weren't made for that. And so sin is the word that that is used to describe the arcing of human personality away um, from what it is to love, from what it is to serve, from what it is to bless. That would be naturally ours, but isn't. So I don't think we have to read sin uh, as a shame word. I think we need to read sin as a a word that is used in the scriptures to describe the arc and trajectory of human life apart from God. I hope that helps. It's a great question. And lastly, you guys look thrilled, by the way. Question number four, particularly if you're in the second row and you're yawning, I can see you. Oh, I can see you. Oh, yes. I don't blame you. But I can see you. All right, question number four. Um, I totally get that being a follower of Jesus is more than just receiving eternal life. Yep. But it also involves living a more fulfilled life of reconciliation now. Uh, if, as a follower of Jesus, I'm supposed to show others what it means to be reconciled with God, but I work with non-believing people who are compassionate, loving towards others, giving of themselves and encouraging, what am I pointing them toward? Man, that's a great question. So one of the things that uh, we're constantly uh, reminding ourselves of, and I think that we're trying to announce to the world, is that we were made for intimate relationship, that we were made for intimate connection um, with uh, with the God who made us. And uh, it is possible for folks to be good and loving and kind, of course, of course, of course. But there's a deeper malaise that afflicts the human person in terms of death, disease, uh, the the bad things that happen to us, the ways in which we're bent towards ourselves. And even the the best of us in the scriptures, you know, aren't uh, fully loving of God and others at all time. And so it's not just that we're saying, listen, if you follow Christ, you'll be more loving, more kind, whatever, because if, if people already feel themselves that way, then that's not really much news. It's that it's that we're saying that the, the ache that plagues human beings, um, the, the, the deep source of, of angst and um, unfulfillment in human life, that there is something that that, that points to, and that Jesus comes not just to fill um, a religious hole that teaches us to be nice, but he's, he's come to fill a relational hole out of which comes nice and loving and good and so on. 
But it's deeper than that. It's deeper than just being a nice kind of moral person. What Jesus wants to do is to literally make us into new creations that are bearers of the new creation that's coming. So I don't know if that helps or not. These are phenomenal questions. We're so glad that you guys are always curious and trust us enough to ask these questions. Um, Fired up today to have Mr. Muehlhoff uh, among us. So Tim, if you want to come out. Always great to have another bald guy. Uh, in, in, <laughs> and uh, Merry Christmas. We love you guys. We'll see you next week. Thanks, Mike. 28. Did he say 28 degrees? Yes. <laughs> I'm from Michigan. I, I couldn't go back. I just couldn't. I want snow for one week before Christmas and then get rid of all of it. And I want fall. I want some kind of fall. That's what I want. Uh, Well, this last week, I've been doing radio interviews, uh, and the topic has been sexual harassment. We've seen a tidal wave culturally uh, about sexual harassment. I think think what's happening is a cultural tipping point. I think it's really good that we're seeing um, what women have had to deal with forever is now being exposed, that this is what they had to deal with. So in answering it, though, between, um, we took a break on this one program, and the producer came on just to say, everything okay? Are you? doing okay? He, he made this comment that stayed with me. He said, um, boy, I, I, the world's a mess, isn't it? And I said, yeah. He said, man, I think as Christians, we got some explaining to do. And I think he's right. I, I think as Christians, we're in this really weird tension today. And the tension is, we believe God's good. We believe he's present. We believe he's aware of what's happening. And we believe that he's powerful. And yet, we see evil happening, and, and I know that I've asked the question, why doesn't God do more? Why doesn't he stop it? You know, atheist comedian Woody Allen said, the only excuse God has is he doesn't exist. So I think as Christians, we're in this weird place. And if you're here checking out Christianity or whether God exists, this has been a major stumbling block for Christians and for young Christians. If you know the trends that are happening today uh, through Pew Research, young evangelicals are leaving by the droves. We've seen a massive exodus from the church with the younger generation. When asked why, they will say things like, I feel like the church is irrelevant, and I feel like the church doesn't do a good job with my doubts. I feel like there's nowhere I can go with my doubts. I get shot down immediately, and I have a lot of doubts. And so this morning, that has really stayed with me, and I wrestle with the problem of evil. So I want to give, in 25 minutes... Uh, the answer to the problem of evil. I might not even need all 25. I might just take 15, and then let's do global warming for the last 10. You know, just we'll, we'll just knock this thing. No, we are not going to knock this thing out, and it's going to actually raise a lot more questions, probably, than what we have. But um, I just want to start the conversation, and we can continue the conversation. So, first slide. This is not my illustration. I heard this illustration, and it really meant a lot to me. Uh, So imagine that you're being chased by a mountain lion, right? And as the mountain lion, uh, we hope this is going to work microphone-wise, we run away from the mountain lion, and we come up to this door, and we slam the door. Boom, and the mountain lion is on the opposite side of the door. 
Now, the mountain lion is beating against the door. Now, our safety, our feeling of that we're safe is based on how strong we think the door is. So as the mountain lion hits it, if that door was made out of wood that was termite infested, we would be cowering in the back thinking, oh my goodness, I just locked myself in a room with a mountain lion who's going to come through the door. So if we say that that door is our faith, what has surprised me about young Christians and people that I interact with, I think by and large, we have no idea how strong the door is. So anything that comes up against the door makes us shudder because we really have deep questions about how strong that door is and whether we really intellectually can believe in Christianity. And I don't think all of your faith is intellectual, but I think a part of it is intellectual. Look at what Jesus says. This is interesting. He says in Mark 12, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind, with all your strength. Now, what he's quoting is called the Shema. It's the oldest Jewish prayer that there is. It is one of the most revered prayers. We find it, next slide, we find it in Deuteronomy. Here's what it is. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. Jesus quotes the Shema, and then he does something radical. He adds to it. Can you imagine doing that? Can you imagine taking the Lord's Prayer and adding to it, right? Our Father art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, and please care for all Midwesterners, especially the University of Michigan, and give us our daily... You would stop and say, well, I don't think you can add to the Lord's Prayer. I don't think you have the authority to do that. Jesus, you wonder why religious authorities hated Jesus. He took the Shema, the Pledge of Allegiance, and added to it. And here's what he added that I think is absolutely fascinating. Here are the two side by side. You catch what he adds to it. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. What did he add to it? It's actually redundant that he says mind, because if you know your Hebrew, the word heart means all of you. It means your emotion and your intellect. So he really didn't need to say it again. If you knew heart in the Hebrew sense, you knew that that includes the mind, the intellect. But Jesus makes a point to say, but I'm including the mind again, because that's how important I think the life of the mind is when it comes to our faith. That there are reasons, and here's what we do. I think this is a a huge mistake. It's like the sex talk. Right? We don't want to do the sex talk with our kids because we don't want to put those thoughts in their minds. Can I just say how crazy that is? In the most sexualized age in the history of humanity, your kids are getting the sex talk. I don't care if they're in a private Christian school. I don't care if they're homeschooled. They're getting it, and they're getting it very quickly. We don't want to have the sex talk because we want to plant plant those kind of thoughts in our kids' minds. We have the same attitude with the problem of evil. As parents, we're freaked out by these certain kind of questions that we get hit with. We don't know, we don't have answers, and so we don't want to talk about these because we're afraid with our kids and friends that we're going to plant thoughts in their mind and cause them to doubt God. Well, I'm sorry, these questions are here to stay because everybody has access to social media or the news, and we get evidence all day long that our world is one messed up place, but we want to believe that God is real, powerful, and good, and active in human history. Next slide. 
This is what Peter says. You all know this verse if you're interested in apologetics. This is a classic verse. But in your hearts, revere Christ as Lord. I want you to set him apart. I want this relationship with the Lord to go deep is what Peter is saying. I want it to take root. I want it to be something special. And how partly does it become special? He says, always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give a reason for the hope that is in you. And as Christians, we have a lot of hope in the world, even though the world is a difficult place. But do so with gentleness and respect. My goodness, underline that. That gentleness and respect part is so important. I just wrote a book called Winsome Persuasion, Christian Influence in a uh, Post-Christian World that is all about, we've forgotten the gentleness and respect part as Christians when we talk about really hard topics. So we are to revere Christ by having reasons. Now again, it's going to take a lifetime of cultivating these reasons why we believe God is good and have answers next. Uh, But that is part of revering Christ as Lord. Next slide. So questions about God that people have. One of the things I get to do with Biola University and Campus Crusade for Christ is I get to go and speak evangelistically on different campuses, UCLA and um, just got back from Yale and different stuff like that, and talking about God with really smart people. So here are the questions we tend to get. Uh, Question number one. God can't be good because of all the pain and suffering in the world today. Another way of phrasing this is, how can God exist if terrorists exist? Did God not know that the Las Vegas shooting was going to happen? I presume he did. Why didn't he stop it? I I, I know God knew that 9-11 was going to happen. Why didn't he stop it? If he knew it was going to happen, why didn't he intervene? And he could have intervened in a multitude of ways, right? Second question. Um, Christianity can't be the only way to God because of Buddhists, Muslims, Hindus, and Jews are just as sincere in their faith as Christians. I would not doubt that for a second. I have some friends who are Buddhists, and they are more committed to their Buddhism in very practical ways than I am with my Christianity. I know Muslims who care more about the poor than Christians do. So if that's being true, and the majority of the world are not Christians, and a huge part of the world has never heard of Jesus Christ, nor will ever hear of Jesus Christ, how in the world can you say that Christianity is the only way to get to God? That makes no sense to me whatsoever. It seems egotistical, and it just doesn't work, because what do you do with a person like Gandhi or Gautama the Buddha or all those people who lived and died before Jesus was ever born? What do we do with those individuals if Jesus is the only way to get to God, right? Merry Christmas. (laughs) Okay, so next, next. The biblical accounts of Jesus rising from the dead are merely lies created by the disciples. This is such a popular response. We want to say as Christians, well, the reason Christianity is the only way to get to God is the resurrection of Jesus. He rose from the dead. He he proved that he was God by conquering death and rising. But the classic response to that is, yeah, but they, they lied. It was a conspiracy theory. They knew Jesus didn't rise from the dead. Jesus was just a man, and they made up a whole bunch of lies. Next. You can't judge another person because there's no ultimate sense of what is really right and wrong. So point to me, what's marriage? What's family? What's truth? You can't point to anything. We're not going to point to God. We're not going to point to the Bible, for crying out loud, as a society. So you show me where you're going to go to get right and wrong for everybody. It's based on power dynamics, and your community determines what's right and wrong, not by looking at some ancient religious tradition is what questions we tend to get. Next. 
So let's just tackle uh, two aspects of this. One, why would God allow evil? Underline the word allow in your mind. Now, what I'm going to say is a huge intramural debate among Christians. And it's how you answer a question. Did God orchestrate the Las Vegas shooting or did he allow it? Did he cause a hurricane to hit Puerto Rico, or did he allow it? Now, that's not semantics, right? C.S. Lewis said you got to get the first things in place, and the second things will follow. This is a massive first thing among Christians. Now, Mike and I are on the same team. I'm not sure where theologically Kerry comes down on this, but um, we haven't talked about it. But Mike and I are on the same page that we do not think God caused Las Vegas to happen. We don't think he causes uh, hurricanes to miss this house but hit this house. God allows it to happen, and it breaks his heart that evil happens. But he's, he's committed to other things that keeps him from just jumping in and stopping the Las Vegas shooting. But we'd want him to do it. There's other commitments he's made that we're about to see in a second. Okay, So a huge intramural debate between Christians on whether God causes or allows. I'm in the allow camp. I could be wrong. Uh, Calvin disagrees with me. Luther disagrees with me. That's why I go to bed with C.S. Lewis' book underneath my pillow (laughs) every night. Okay, next. Uh, But so here are the questions we have to answer. Las Vegas shootings, all the stuff about sexual harassment. Women have suffered in silence for so long. And then, you know, natural disasters, right? Okay, we might say the Las Vegas shooting is done by a madman, but who's on the hook morally for things like wildfires, tsunamis, hurricanes, and earthquakes? That seems to me God there. So how can we blame... um, Uh, How do we get God off the hook for natural disasters? Next. All right, so we need to ask a fundamental question. um, you're, You're putting your thinking caps on this morning. We need to ask a previous question before we can get to the God and evil question. One, why did God make human beings in the first place? You ever think about that? God is God. He lives in a trinity. He's perfectly happy. There's God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. He doesn't lack anything. And some people have said, well, he made human beings so that we could worship. Okay, well, he's got angels. Do you know there's something called a seraph? The seraph is only mentioned three times in the entire Bible. A seraph is a six-winged angel whose only job, so far as we can tell, is fly around the throne of God in heaven saying, holy, holy, holy. So no offense to you, but you're not going to out-worship a seraph, right? (laughs) He's got a seraph, right? So why would he create human beings? He wants them to do something. He wants them to choose to love him. He wants them to choose to have a relationship. He wants them to choose good over evil. Now, he could have made human beings any way he wanted. Now, my wife and I speak at marriage conferences, right? I was in St. Louis. Unfortunately, last week I was in St. Louis uh, when Mike was here. I was so sad that I had to miss it. Um, but um, so Noreen got me something uh, via the internet, uh, a Mr. Wonderful Doll, right? So, ladies, a Mr. Wonderful Doll is, has been pre-programmed to say everything you want your husband to say, and he doesn't. The Mr. Wonderful Doll is what you want your significant other to say, and he doesn't. So this is what he's been pre-programmed to say. So let's listen to this. Oh, over here. Smoking really isn't that important. I'd rather spend time with you. Right. No applause. No, don't applaud. Here we go. He's a... Yeah. Let's just cuddle tonight. (laughs) Actually, I'm not sure which way to go. Uh, 
Right? Right? Okay. So, hey, fair's fair. I got on the internet and I found Mrs. Wonderful. <laughs> totally true. Listen to what she says. It really doesn't matter if you leave the toilet seat up. It makes it easier to clean. <laughs> you don't need a glass. Just go ahead and drink right out of the carton. <laughs> a new reversible drill. Oh, honey, it is just what I needed. Okay, so... Let's say you could have a relationship with the Mr. Wonderful Doll or the Mrs. Wonderful Doll. Would you want it? You, a whole lifetime with the Mr. Wonderful Doll. Who would want that? Well, guys, what are you talking about? Why are you shaking your head no? What do you mean it's boring? This is... that boring he and by the way if there's something he's missing you get to pre you get to program it in what he doesn't mean it he was told to say that he was programmed to say that by the way when i travel and sometimes when i speak evangelistically i actually bring these and i have them in my bag and sometimes they go off in front of the tsa agent Oh, no, 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 my bad. It doesn't matter who touches the button. Sometimes I've had this on the floor of my dog, Ginger, hits the button, right? So God could have had a pre-programmed human being. Now, what would that human being have been programmed to say? Holy, 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 God, you're good. Um, evil would have been pre-programmed out. Guess what? There would have been no World War I, World War II. There would have been no terrorism. There would have been no sexual harassment. There would have been no disease, no hurricanes. There would have been nothing. God made a fundamental decision. I don't want that kind of world. I don't want to pre-program these individuals to love me. I want them to choose it. Now, interesting that Jean-Paul Sartre, one of the great atheist thinkers that we have today, in the past, he developed existentialism. He came up with this same conclusion. Notice what Sartre says. The man who wants to be loved does not desire the enslavement of the beloved. He is not bent on becoming the object of passion, which flows forth mechanically. He does, want, he does not want to possess an automaton. He doesn't want a robot. This is the Stafford wives, right? God didn't want that. But when he said to be human is to be free, he had to mean it. So guess what? Adam and Eve, bummer, they decide to rebel. He warned them against it, but they said, no, we want to do it our way. And God said, I will not stop you from doing this. Now, there's going to be natural consequences of your rebellion, and it's going to break my heart, but I'm not going to revoke your free will the minute you do something I don't want you to do. And welcome to planet Earth. It breaks God's heart. Now, I think Jesus is getting at this when he's standing in front of Jerusalem, which is a sign of Jewish pride, and he makes this comment. Look what Jesus says. Jerusalem, Jerusalem, how often I longed to gather your children together as a hen gathers her chicks. That's what I want. But he summarizes the people's response to him in four tragic words. You were not willing. Here's what I think God says to planet Earth. Hey, you hate war? I hate it. You hate sexual harassment? I hate it. You hate the sex industry? I hate it. And by the way, I see all of the sex industry. 
You, I, you just see what's on the news. I see it all 24-7. There's sexual harassment stories that have not been told because women still feel unsafe to do it. God's heard every single one of them. He wants to get rid of it, but you were not willing. I'm not going to force you to do this. God could do this. At, at noon today, he could say this. You want to be done with evil? Done. At noon, I'm going to use a taser gun. Uh, and I'm going to tase you. Anytime a person acts out, I'm going to hit them with an electric shock. This electric shock is going to knock them on their knees. And it'll be proportional, right? If you're going to tell a lie, I hit you with a small one. You're going to rape a woman, I knock you to your knees and you can't get up. You're going to abduct a child, I hit you with such a shock that you cannot literally grab this child. Right? Guess what? At 1201, he's got a world of no evil. But he's also got a world of beaten, cowering dogs who do not love him. Even God can't force that. The Nazis could do a lot of things with those poor individuals in concentration camps, but they could not make those individuals love them. Nazis could make concentration camp um, individuals fear them, but couldn't make them love them. And God does not want, at 1205, a world of cowering, beaten dogs who really don't love him and would act out in a heartbeat, but your taser gun is big enough to gain compliance. Sartre said this, at the end of the day, I don't believe God exists, but if he did, I'd want to kill him because I resent the fact that he wants to put limits on my life. So God says, I could get the world you want, but I have to revoke your freedom. I'm not, I, that's what it means to be human. I can't take that quality from you. So that's one really quick answer to that. Why doesn't God just fix it? He could, but in a way that revokes our humanity. Uh, next point. Thank you, Carrie. I so love her. All right, does God even care? Okay, so he's got these commitments. And I guess it sort of kind of sort of makes sense. But does he care what's happening? I mean, does he sit up there and just watch? And it's like, well, well, bummer. That's the world you created. Bummer. Sorry. I'm should have listened. Right? Is he up there doing that? Or, or when you get that news that you have cancer, or when you find out that you can't have kids, or you lose your job, is God there going, well, I'm sorry, philosophical commitments to free will, right? No, how does he actually feel as he watches the world? I think that's interesting. So, next. Uh, this is a man named Father Damien. When I was researching a book called The God Conversation, that's what your kids call when they talk about the problem of evil. They call it, let's have the God conversation. And it's a big conversation. Father Damien was this amazing priest. He learned of a leper community um, where individuals um, had leprosy and were colonized on this island, and there was nobody there to care for him. There wasn't a priest, a doctor, anybody. So though he was perfectly healthy, he asked to be assigned there. And they granted him that. So he went there for 10 years. He bathed you, clothed you, spoke at your funeral, and did everything. Now, here's my point about Father Damien. What do you think the lepers felt towards Father Damien, a perfectly healthy man who could leave at any time? What do you think they thought about him as he ministered to them, cared for them, loved them, prayed for them, and helped them? What do you think their, their feelings were towards Father Damien? Yeah, he loved him, appreciated him. Man, you're awesome. I can't believe you're doing this. Okay? But you're not one of us. 
I love that you're here. I admire that you're here. But guess what? You could leave next week. I can't leave. So I so admire you, um, but you, you're a healthy man. So in the 11th year, Father Damien gave a sermon where he stood up and he said, I, we all stand before Christ as lepers. And he opens up his robes and he has contracted leprosy. He's now a leper. He can't leave. Now, what changed in that second with these lepers? Did he care more? Was he more attentive? Did he love deeper? No, their perspective changed in a heartbeat. And they said, you're one of us. You're one of us. So here's a picture of him with leprosy. Right? Welcome to Christianity. Now listen, I, I get that Christianity has a lot of difficult questions we need to answer. And I get that we're not the only religion in town. I get that. And I would never speak ill of Mahatma Gandhi. What Gandhi accomplished in helping the outcast system, I spent time doing research in India, and Gandhi is revered. Gautama the Buddha asked about problem of evil from a different perspective, but very helpful in what he he came to. I would even argue that Muhammad cared enough about the poor that he sticks it right into the five pillars of Islam. So I'm not up here to bash other religions. I think God's truth actually bleeds into other religions. But here is one thing that Christianity has that nobody else has. God came to planet Earth as a human being and took his own medicine. Right? I mean, he suffered. Uh, all the different kind of suffering. He's, he was abandoned. He was beaten. He, knew, he knows what it's like to be tired. He even knows what it's like to be abandoned by God. In, in a wild passage in Mark, he's in the Garden of Gethsemane, and he's weeping in front of God. He says, God, if possible, take this cup from me. And then on the cross, he says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? How many of us have said the exact same thing? God, why have you forsaken me in this moment when I need you the most? Jesus knows exactly what that's like. So the writer of Hebrews uh, uh, talks about it this way. For we do not have a high priest, Jesus, who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who has been tempted in all things as we are, yet without sin. Now that Greek word for sympathize is fascinating. It means knowledge by way of common experience. That's what the word sympathize means in the Greek. So Jesus, it isn't an intellectual process that he knows what you're going through. He's omnipotent. He, he could uh, omniscient. He can know that. But he knows what it's like to be in pain and thirsty and suffering and abandoned. He's experienced it. So when you pray to Jesus, he goes, yeah, I know what that was like. Now, here's an interesting argument made about Jesus. Because he couldn't sin, see, see, if you were to tempt me with something, I don't know what, um, there, eventually I'm going to succumb to the temptation because I'm a human being. Jesus never succumbed to the temptation. So he experienced the full range and depth of human suffering where you and I would just literally black out physically or emotionally we would check out as a defense mechanism. Jesus never did that. He knows the depth of human suffering in a way that we can't even conceive of. So when you pray to God in times of hardship, keep the two things in mind. One, God is going to rectify the world. He has promised he's going to do that. 
If you read Revelation chapter 21, Jesus says this, God says this, I'm going to create a new heaven and a new earth, and I'm going to populate it with people who want to be there. Now, what does it mean to be there? You have to want to live under my governorship. You have to want that I lead the world. I'm not going to force you to do that. Now, a big question comes up really quickly. What does God do with those who don't want to be with him? That's a powerful question. My estimation is he creates a quarantine. Now, the quarantine is given a very interesting biblical name, and that's hell. It's a quarantine that people have self-selected to be in. C.S. Lewis put it this way, how is locked from the inside, not the outside? These are successful rebels to the end, is what Lewis says. Right? Because this new earth, there aren't going to be tsunamis. There's not going to be hurricanes. There's not going to be madmen shooting from hotel rooms at a crowd watching a music concert. That's not going to happen. There's not going to be AIDS, rape, um, disease, cancer. That's, he says it this way. All of those things will go away. The first things will go away. The second things will come. But here's the coolest thing John says. He will wipe away your tears. So when we get to heaven, don't think that God's going to say, okay, everybody, on three, pain, sorrow, suffering's gone. Ready? One, two, three. I don't think he's going to do that. I think he's going to go up to each one of us individually. And I think he's going to say, I was there when you got the news. I was there when the job fell through. I was there when that kid walked away from the faith. I was there. And I acknowledge all your pain. And I even acknowledge the fact that you think I was asleep at the wheel. I even and that, that's fair. I, I get that from your perspective. But I'm wiping. So I think I think the celebration in the New Jerusalem is going to be gradual. I think it's going to culminate in this wonderful uh, solution of the end of suffering. So keep that in mind. But know that in the meantime, God's heart breaks for you, and it breaks for a world too that the gospel could help with. And that's why we get the good news out. So Christmas is a great time. Christmas is one of the, can I dare say this, one of the most poorly planned rescue operations in the history of the world. Right? God says, okay, I see the pain of planet Earth. I'm coming, and I come, but it won't be active for 33 years. And you're like, what? What? Yeah, you got to wait. I'm sorry. But he's growing. Jesus is growing in stature. He's, he knows what it's like to be a human being because he's experiencing it. And then he bursts on the scene. He says, okay, I'm the Messiah. And I know that that feels like for some of you in desperate mode, you're like, I had to wait 30 years for the Messiah? And the answer is, well, it's actually worse than that. People waited 400 years in the Old Testament. Malachi goes silent, and then Jesus comes. So there is good news, but God's not a magic genie in heaven who says, okay, on three, I'm making all things better. He will make all things better, but he's not going to strip you of your humanity, and he's going to weep with you as you suffer. Let me pray. Father, we come before you, and uh, we share... Your grief, as we look at the world, Lord, I pray for these women who were embarrassed and humiliated and felt like they had to suffer in silence because they didn't want to throw away their career. They didn't want to throw away their job. Thank you for their courage to come forward. 
Father, we look at the sex trade industry. We look at the porn industry. California being the greatest gateway of pornography in the sex trade industry in the, in the entire country. And our heart breaks because your heart breaks. Pray for those whose family, when it comes Christmas time, their family isn't close. They don't look like a Christmas card. And that's difficult. Father, thank you that your heart breaks, that we have a high priest who sympathizes, a high priest who weeps at the death of Lazarus and doesn't ignore it or try to minimize it. So, Father, this Christmas season, we thank you for the gift of Jesus, that this is Father Damien on biblical level. And help us to have comfort in that, that you weep with us. So, Father, be a part of this. Be a part of the communion table and everything that it represents. So we do pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So as you sit with the love of God, uh, one huge response is to come up and take communion. This is the body of Jesus. This is the blood of Jesus. And uh, this is God's ultimate long answer to the problem of evil is Jesus. And come celebrate that even in the midst of your pain. Come celebrate that the greatest symbol of God's love for you is not that your prayers are answered, but that he gave you Jesus. You individually, not as a collective group, but you individually, Jesus died. So listen to the first two songs, prepare your heart, and then you're free to come up and grab communion and celebrate Jesus' love for you. Thank you. Thank you so much for what you guys do. Um, When Jesus taught us to pray, he said, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Presupposing there would be no need to pray that if his will was always done on earth. But we are to pray that his will would be done on this planet. But never forget the first part. Our Father, who is in heaven. Uh, I didn't mean to suggest that your Father never protects you on planet earth. I think he does through a multitude of ways, through prayer, through the church, through common grace, working through non-Christians, helping you out, through miracles happening to protect us. But this isn't the earth God wants. And so we do pray that his kingdom would come. And what a great prayer to leave today with, because we are the, um, the manifestation of that kingdom. So today, be the kingdom for your neighbors. Be the kingdom for those, and especially for those who don't deserve it. Especially those. So let me give you a benediction as we leave. Lord Jesus, we pray that you would come. We long for that day when we get to see you and uh, touch you and hug you. We long for that day when our Heavenly Father wipes away every tear from our eyes. So today, let us wipe away the tears of other people. Let us be the embodiment of your love today. So, Lord, go with us today, and we go knowing that a Heavenly Father is watching over us and acknowledging all that we go through. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Vox Community Podcast. You can join us on Facebook at facebook.com slash voxcommunity. Participate in the Vox Community at voxoc.com slash participate.